Praise God. The title of my message is The 340 Keys to Revival. Okay, let's not do that message. Okay, praise God. I just saw someone leave from the stream. They're going, I'm out, man. I'm out. I'm totally out. You know, I want to talk to you about this. You know, one of the things that happened, I got saved in 1986. I was 21 years old. Yes, I'm 54. And uh, you only look this good with oil of Olay. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it doesn't grow here anymore, so I'm growing it here. It grows out my nose. It grows out my ears. So I figured, why not the chin as well? Amen. But... Uh, 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 you know, one of the things that people have been saying ever since the day I got saved, including myself, is how do I know I'm hearing God? Have you ever asked that? How do I know I'm hearing God? Because the Bible gives us a lot of different descriptions on how. I mean, I've never really heard the audible voice of God. You know, I remember I actually said to Pastor Sam, I said, Pastor Sam, what does the voice of God sound like to you? And he said, like Kathy. <laughs> no, no, no. Praise God. That's... Come on, man, but often the voice of God sounds like yourself, amen? I've never really heard His audible voice. The Bible says that His voice, it sounds like the sound of many thunders. How many people know I can't interpret that? Or the sound of a roaring ocean. God, is that you? I mean, that's, that's hard. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, I haven't had an angel visit me. I haven't had one of those privileged things. But you know what? What I realize is a lot of people are always asking the question, how do I know that God's speaking to me? Is anybody in the same boat? You want God to speak to you. And, and you know, I mean, you read about, you know, David having God say, hide behind the balsam trees, do this sort of stuff. I mean, all this sort of crazy stuff. And I thought, come on, God. Or Moses having a talk with a tree on fire. I've got to be honest with you. He argued with a tree on fire. Listen, if a tree is on fire and talking to you, do what it says. <laughs> Serious, man. Why would you argue with a talking tree? Anyway, praise God. Thank God. Come on. Somebody, how do you read the Bible? Do you see that, you know? So the thing is, this is, how do we know God's speaking to us? I think of people like Gideon. Gideon has a visitation from an angel, but then he also asks for fleeces, wet, dry, dry, wet, this sort of stuff there. But even then, he still has to have another uh, uh, hearing of someone having a dream of a fruitcake running into an army of the enemy. And he goes, okay, finally, I'll do it. And I thank God for Gideon because at least it gives us a belief that we can actually put out a fleece. Have you ever done that before? God, God, if this is you, let this happen. Amen? Is this working? Praise God. Have you ever done that? God, if this is you, let this happen. You know, God, can you speak to me in a way? Do you understand? So I thank God. But the Bible isn't just full of fleeces. I mean, Peter didn't ask for a fleece when he stepped out on the water. Lazarus didn't ask for a fleece when he came out the grave. Come on, man. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus didn't say, how do I know it's you? Come on, sorry. Come on. I mean, he wasn't wrapped up. You know, oh, come on, come on, man. What do I? Sometimes it's just, it's just you do, you know. But the real question is this, is a lot of people are still asking the question, is that you, God? And so today, the title of my message is, is that you, God? Amen. I want to teach you maybe just for a real quick moment here on, on, on what I, these are just four things. But, you know, there's litmus test. How do you know God's speaking to you? So I want to give you four keys on how you can tell whether God's speaking to you. Maybe something you're waiting on on your future, your future partner, your future career. You know, whatever it is, you're, you're waiting on a word from God. Amen. Does this make sense? And so I want to teach you four things, four things that if you put into practice, it's going to help realign you with whether God's speaking to you. Amen. Okay, so the first thing is this. Number one, right? First, first point, they're in no particular order, but they're in the order that I'm putting them, right? Number one, God's voice will never go against God's word. Come on, you've got to put this down. God's voice will never go against God's word. I love it when people say, hey, oh, God told me. 
And it's so ludicrous. You know what I mean? Now listen, not everything's in Scripture, but he still won't go against Scripture. Does that make sense? And people, I've met a lot of people saying, God said, God said, I'm going, wow, God talks to you a lot. And he's told him to do some crazy things. And I'm going, okay, hang on a second. The first test that I have, if I feel like God's speaking to me, is this. God's voice will never go against God's word. Amen. Does it line up with the Bible? John 12, verse 49. Look at Jesus, right? Well, who was Jesus? Jesus was known as God, right? Son of God. He is God. Amen. And he says this, John 12, verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. So Jesus, who is the Son of God, God, the Son, has full authority to speak on his own accord, but he said, I don't even speak on my own accord. I speak what the Father tells me to say. Unity. Come on, folks. So even the Son of God is lining up with God the Father. Are we okay? All right, but wait, there's more. Here we go. John 16, verse 13 to 15. However, when he, Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit. Now, let's just pause for a second. Notice he called the Holy Spirit he. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. I mean, God bless you. If you've got a dove sticker on the back of your car, keep it. But that's not the Holy Spirit. It's not Father, Son, and Holy Pigeon. Amen. Praise God. It's not when the Holy Spirit comes in. He's like, come on, folks. You tough crowd. Some of you, yeah. It says, I saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove, not a dove. Come on, man. He's a he. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he, now look at this, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So get this, right? Jesus says, even though Jesus is God, he says, I don't even speak on my own accord. I only talk to you about what the Father tells me to say. And then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit when I go, and he can be everywhere at the same time. But he's not going to speak on his own accord. He's only going to speak what I tell him. So... The Father tells Jesus, and Jesus tells the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks. Complete unity. All of them are God. But all of them are in agreement. That's why, you know, listen, the good news about this is the fact of the matter is, is when we pray those prayers, and it includes the whole Trinity. Come on, man. You know, people that go, Father God, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that Holy Spirit, you would just move, Father God, Father God, Lord Jesus, Jesus, I just pray, Holy Spirit. And they're up there going, it's me, it's me, it's me. Come on. There's unity. Do you understand? They're okay. <laughs> Come on, man. Some of you pray like that. Come on, man. You listen to some people's prayer. They go, Father God, I just pray, Father God, Father God, Father God, I just pray, Father God, Father God, Father God, I just pray, Father God, Father God. He knows his name. You just have to say it once, man. I don't go, Sam, I was wondering, Sam, Sam, could I have a drink? Sam, 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 could I go to town? Sam, Sam. Sam will go, shut up. Sometimes we've got to think when we pray. Amen. Praise God. Just threw that one in for free. I see you, Monaco. Come on. Is that Monaco? Monaco. Monaco. You know, flipping heck. Hey, I'm a foreigner. Here we go. So here we go. Let me give you a little hot potato. This is a hot potato that's generic. This is worldwide. Doesn't matter which country you're in, you'll hear this statement. You'll hear people saying something that's very interesting. It's an incredible hot potato. Let's put that hot potato. We've got that hot potato. Look at this. Hot potato. When someone says... God said, it's all right for me to date an unbeliever. 
Oh, no, he didn't. Oh, no, 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 no. Shama, shama, ding dong. No, he did not. Come on, man. Now, that's generic. That's not Western. That's in every country. People pull that one out. No, God said. God said it's all right for me to date an unbeliever. God's voice will never go against God's word. Now, if you're married to an unbeliever, don't go home and say, you're divorced. Don't do that. I didn't say that, okay? Come on, folks. Talking about dating. Talking about dating. Okay, so what does the word of God say? Let's have a look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is just after 1 Corinthians and just before 3 Corinthians. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 to 18 says this. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Why, Paul? Why? Why? How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? That's a bit rough. How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? That's what the Word of God says. And people get all flustered and angry about this sort of stuff there. But I've been a pastor for a long time now. I became a pastor in 1995. And the one thing that I've seen destroy people's Christian walk more than anything else is wrong relationships. Amen. People come down the front, hey, can you pray? I'm just having a real wrestling match with my partner right now. I'm not married. Okay, where is he? Oh, no, they don't come to church. Where is she? No, they don't come to church. They don't believe in God. Well, good luck. What do you want me to pray? Come on, folks. Can, I t- can we talk? Can we talk, man? See, the thing is, this is, listen, they've got momentum on their side. It's not a negative. God loves them more than you love them. God wants them saved, but he never told you to date them to get them saved. He didn't say flirt to convert. I'm just trying to win them to Jesus. No, you need to understand, listen, they have momentum. Now me, I weigh 60 kilos. In my thighs. If I was dating a girl, hypothetically, that was 40 kilos, right? Even at my size. And I'm trying to lift her up, right? I could do it probably because I'm strong. But how many people know momentum's on her side? And all she has to do is give a little tug and I'm down. Does this make sense? Because momentum's on her. The force is on her side. Does this make sense? And when you're dating someone like this, you're messing around with something that God said. God's not saying because he doesn't love you, he's got the perfect partner for you. Does that make sense? But sometimes we try to run ahead of God. Let me tell you, the lonely place to be is ahead of God. Come on, is this helping anybody here? That's a simple one here. See, we've got to understand, God's voice will never go against God's word. Is that okay, folks? Number two. Number two, ready? Here we go. Litmus test. Scripture best interprets scripture. Scripture best interprets Scripture. It's called the hermeneutical approach, right? It's understanding that the Bible won't disagree with itself. Even when it sounds like it's contradicting, it doesn't contradict. You know, Proverbs says, don't answer a fool according to his folly uh, unless you be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly lest lest he be wise in his own eyes. So it's saying appropriate it at the right time. Sometimes there's a time to be silent and other times you've got to bring alignment. Does that make sense? So even though it sounds like a contradiction, it's not contradicting itself, right? But Scripture best interprets Scripture. See, the reason why you need to understand that is some people live just off of one Scripture, and that's a dangerous way to live. Come on, man. When I was growing up, there was these people that would open up the Bible and say, God, speak to me. What if it says, and Judas hung himself? It's in the Bible. Or they were all circumcised. Come on, God. 
you tough crowd. Come on, folks. There's some, there's some bizarre stuff if you just take one scripture. Scripture best interprets scripture. Right? Don't just take one word. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, you can't. Go ahead, fly. Come on, man. I was at Hawks Bay. Just jump off that hang. Yeah. Hey, I believe I can fly. No, you can't. You're taking scripture out of context. Amen. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Yes, some will. Guy comes up to you down at Queen Street. Yo, give me your money. No weapon. (laughs) Don't misappropriate scripture. You can make it all things are permissible. Come on, folks. We take one scripture and we build a doctrine around it without allowing scripture to best interpret scripture. Amen. The Bible, 66 books, none of them will go against each other. They flow. There's a unity and a harmony with Scripture. So when God speaks to you out of Scripture, look at it all. The hermeneutical approach, as I said, look at this. Matthew 18, verse 16. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more witnesses, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Paul's using the same text. He's saying this, this will be my third time I'm coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. Listen, we need to understand it's got to have a witness. Let me throw something in there just as a quick curveball here. It's like, again, when people come down the front and they're crying and you go, what's the matter? They go, Pastor, I just need you to pray for me. Because today this guy came up to me and said he had a dream about me and I'm to be his wife. I'm going, well, what do you want me to pray for? He goes, I hate him. (laughs) Well, we don't even need to pray. You've got to be the witness. Just because a guy comes and says, hey, I saw you in my dreams. Yeah, called lust. Doesn't necessarily mean it was God. If you don't like the guy, why do you need to pray? Oh, is this okay? Some of you guys don't get this right. It literally happened. My, old, my EA, who's now pastor of one of our campuses, right? when she was single, this guy came up to her in church and said, I don't know how to tell you this, but I had a dream about you and God told me that you're going to be my wife. She just went, there is no flipping way that is going to happen. And just moved him along. She didn't even have to go and pray about it. There was no witness. Oh, man, have I just rattled some people's doctrine in this place here? Is that the stunt you were pulling some guys here? You're the one. Hey, hey. Come on, man, there's got to be a witness. Does this make sense? See, why do we need to know this, right? Why do we need to know that Scripture best interprets Scripture? This is a big one, ready? Because Satan can give you a Scripture. Satan can give you a Scripture. Satan can quote Scripture. Look at this. Matthew 4, verse 5 to 7, or 6 to 7 says this. And he, devil, said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. That is 100% correct. That's exactly what Scripture says. That's the, the devil quoted Scripture perfectly. See, I realized a long time ago that the devil can quote the word correct in content, but incorrect in context. Are you okay, folks? Come on. Devil can, listen, the Bible says that he can appear as an angel of light, deceiving the elect if it were possible. How many people know the devil doesn't come looking like the devil? I mean, if he came in a red suit and went, it is written. That's a giveaway. (laughs) 
I don't know whether he has red, you know, but seriously. Do you know what I'm saying? But I mean, if he had more than one voice, run. He comes as an angel of light, deceiving the elect if that were possible. Look at this. He's quoting the word of God to the word of God. Oh, man, is this thing working? Seriously, somebody just like, you haven't moved the whole time. What about you guys who are streaming right now? Are you looking? Come on, fun. Do you understand? Listen, you, you, you need to understand. This is where you need to know Scripture. How does Jesus answer the devil? He answers him with Scripture. Verse 7, it is written again, devil, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Come on, man. Scripture, best interpret Scripture. If ever there was an encouragement to know the Word of God, this should be the best encouragement. You've got to get the Word of God into you, my friends. Listen to me. If the only dose of the Word of God you get on a Sunday, you've got it back to front. The Word of God is not called weekly loaf. It's called daily bread. Are we okay, folks? Praise God. Come on, man. If you think he's going to, if he tries it with Jesus, trust me, he's going to try it with you. You can read about great revivalists. Wigglesworth was asked to pray for a couple that felt God told them to go onto the mission field to the Congo. When he got up to lay hands on them, God said, I never called them. I never called them. Sometimes we can be led astray. If the devil can't get you, stop you from being saved, he'll get you distracted. Come on, folks. He'll make you busy. He'll try and at least just get you away from the real full call of God on your life. Amen? Does that make sense? As long as you're not bearing as much fruit as God wanted you to bear, the devil still has a bit of a win. Oh, I mean, come on, am I helping anybody in this place here? Number three, here we go. Does godly counsel agree? Is that you, God? Listen, it's God's word. God's voice will never go against his word. Scripture best interpret scripture. Number three, does godly counsel agree? Notice I said godly counsel. I didn't say goodly counsel. There's a big difference between godly counsel and goodly counsel. A lot of times when we want goodly counsel, we just go to our friends. The friends that are too afraid to tell us what we need to hear because they love the friendship more than they love God. Amen? Hey, man, I really, past them, I just feel called to, uh, you know, this, what do you think? Oh, yeah, mate, go, 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 because they're mates. Come on. Does that make sense? Now, he'd never do that. But you understand, we go to our mates because we want them to say what we want to hear. Do you think I should do that? Oh, go, go. You're the one. Shikara Mahandi. You know, and we get them every word because they're just your mates. They, they're, they're peacekeepers. They're not peacemakers. I, I shared that with the men. Anyway, you, do you understand what I'm saying? See, godly counsel. You need godly counsel. What is godly counsel? Well, I was taught a long time ago, godly counsel is this. People who really know and love God, people who really know and love you, and people who really know and love the word. Not one or the other, all three. I mean, I'm going to press pause for a second here. Now, there are circumstances where people might not know you as well, but they have a love for you. I want to, I want to honor Pastor Bruce, right? Because I was thinking about this this morning as I was going through my stuff this morning and reading and praying. I went to England for the very first time, right? Way back in the day for your conference. And uh, I've been told by really good friends, hey, this is what you need to do. Because I'm going, mate, I'm going back to my hometown. It's prophesied that I'm going to go back to where I was born and preach. Oh my God, I'm nervous, I'm nervous, I'm nervous. What should I do? So I went to good friends and they said, you should stop doing this, do this, say this, blah, 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 blah. So I'm going, good, good tips, man. Got it. So now I get up at the conference and I start speaking. I've never met Pastor Bruce before. I'm preaching away and I feel like a bear caged. Right? I just did not feel like me. And after the first session, Pastor Bruce goes, hey, Maddie, come on, let's go out for coffee. 
I said, yeah, totally, man. So I get to meet him. We go out for coffee, and he taught me how to order a decent flat white in England back in those days because they didn't know how to make one. You get a double shot espresso with hot milk on the side and pour it in because they were lousy at making flat whites, right? It's still a wound that hasn't healed. <laughs> we're sitting down having the coffee, and he said, he said, Matt, I don't even know you that well, right? And it's really just first meeting you. He says, but I listen to you preach that, and he said, and that doesn't sound like you. And I went, it's not me. It's not me. I'm so frustrated. I was told this. I was told that. I was given this advice. He goes, mate, he says, no disrespect to anybody else. Put that all in a bin and just be Matt Fielder. Liberating and freeing. And I had the best time ever. I, I love you for that, man. Right? I mean, he didn't know me that well, but he loved God, loved the Word of God. And he had a love for me, even though he didn't know me that deeply. Does that make sense? But that was an instant kindred spirit. That's godly counsel. Does that make sense, friends? Come on, look at this right. See, Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. The New Living Translation says it like this. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Proverbs 19, verse 20 to 21. Again, Scripture, best interpreting Scripture. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel... That will stand. Proverbs 24, verse 6. For by wise counsel, you'll wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors, talking about godly counsel, not a lot of voices, not horoscopes, not fortune tellers, not stupid stuff like that, not mediums or car park prophets. In a multitude of counselors, there is safety. There are plenty of people that want to give you their opinions, my friends. Come on, man, I was taught a long time ago, and I've shared it from many pulpits. Opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got them. Most of them stink. <laughs> Not interested in your opinion. I value word. I value truth. Amen. Your opinion and my opinion could always clash. Does that make sense, folks? See, do you get wise counsel or do you get stupid counsel? Rehoboam didn't listen to counsel. When he was taken over the mantle after Solomon had passed on the baton, it says this in 1 Kings 12, it says he goes up to the counselors that Solomon even had. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, had counselors. I mean, just think of that. That's a mind freak. So he'd go to people for wisdom, right? Now Rehoboam goes, hey, uh, you, you counsel my dad. What do you think I should do to keep a treaty with the people of Israel, all tribes, man, keep them all together? And they said, you need to go up and make a good peace treaty with them. Tell them, you know what, we're going to work together in harmony and you'll keep them all. And he goes, hmm, I'll go and see what my mates say. So he goes and hangs out with his mates. You can read about it. And he says, what do you think I should say, boys? The counselor said I should go and make a treaty with the tribes of Israel and I'll keep them all in harmony and we'll be, you know, the kingdom will be great. And the, the boys said, oh, don't do that, man. You should say to him, you think my father's hand was tough? My little pinky. Skadoosh. <laughs> Nothing? No Kung Fu Panda fancy? <laughs> okay, forget it, right? <laughs> he whipped you with a cord of something. I'm going to whip you with scorpions. Now, I'd like to see that. How many people know? So that's exactly what he did. When the people came back, the tribes, he goes, my father, you thought he was tough, man, my pinky. And he lost 11 of them. Unwise counsel. Went to mates who just told him what he wanted to hear. Come on, am I speaking to the right people here, folks? Is this cool? God's voice will never go against his word. Scripture, best interpret scripture. Does godly counsel agree? And last point, real simple. Do I have peace? This is one that God built into absolutely every single one of you in this place here. 
Do I have peace? When I hear people saying, God told me to do something and I haven't been able to sleep for the last 14 nights. <laughs> wrong God. Because you can be frightened and terrified by the awesomeness of what God's called you to do, but he'll still give you peace that goes beyond your understanding. Amen. Come on, folks. I love it. You know, some of us older ones, the ones with gray hair, no hair, no teeth. We used to believe these sorts of philosophies. Don't tell God you won't go to India because that's where he'll send you. Come on, whoever heard that lie? What a load of rubbish. Where's that? Praise God. If that worked, I'd say, God, don't you make me a billionaire. I will be so angry. Don't you give me four Harleys and a Lamborghini. I'll, I'll be, I won't talk to you. What a load of rubbish, man. Don't send me to Hawaii. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, this, this, this mindset. But when God speaks, even though it can be like, oh my gosh, he'll give you a peace. Does that make sense? Colossians, Paul's writing to the Colossians. Think about the Colossians, where the Colosseum is, sporting. They're into the games. All sorts of competitions were held there, right? So Paul always wrote letters, the epistles, and he wrote these letters to people according to their demographics. So he scratched where they were itching. So they understood the, the way he talked. Does that make sense? He was up, he says, to the Greek, I became a Greek. To the Roman, I became a Roman. So he writes according to this when he's writing the epistles. And he says this in Colossians 3 verse 15. It says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. That word rule, right, it mean, it's a sporting term to mean umpire you. He was writing to the Col Colossians because they understood sporting terms. And so he deliberately put that word in rule, which means umpire you. The Amplified says it like this, and let the peace, soul harmony, which comes from Christ, rule, act as an umpire continually. In your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all the questions that arise in your mind. Come on, folks, God wants to umpire you. He's the one that stands on and goes, no, you're offside. Come on, man, get back in. He's the one, no, be careful. You know, this is, this is not good. Does that make sense? He's umpiring. He's cheering you on on the sidelines. He's the guy running alongside going, come on, man, come on, that's good. Does that make sense? That's the peace that he gives you and it will be your guide. It will be your umpire. How cool is that? Then he goes on in the Philippians. Again, Philippians under the Roman rule. Man, I mean, they were used to seeing guards, soldiers, the whole works, a lot of abuse going on there. And he's writing to the Philippians because they understood what it was to see a group of soldiers marching through. And he says this in Philippians 4 verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That word guard here, it means a garrison of soldiers. It means a garrison of soldiers. When you saw a garrison of soldiers, Roman soldiers walking past, man, they struck fear in people. They were almost defenseless. They had these shields at some stage. I, I was reading, some had these shields that would cover their whole body and it'd almost just be a vision for your eyes, right? And then the, the people, the next soldiers behind would put their shields above and they'd form like this human tank and they'd be able to go into battle and no weapon formed against them will prosper. And God's saying he wants to give you that peace that will guard your heart like a garrison around your heart. Does that, I mean, come on, man. Isn't that awesome? See, do you have that peace? Do you have that peace? It says this in the Amplified again. And God's peace shall be yours. That tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and being content with this earthly lot of whatever sort that is, that peace which transcends all understanding shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love it when people come and tell me God's told me to do something and you look in their eyes and there is no peace. 
and you're trying to convince everybody else that you have peace, but you don't have peace. And your pulse in your neck keeps you up at night. You fear that someone's gonna catch you out. That's not the peace that God gives you. The peace that God gives you is the peace that gives you the ability to sleep in a storm. Does this make sense? I mean, if God calms your storm, that's not called peace that is beyond your understanding. That's peace that goes with your understanding. But the peace that God gives you is the ability to sleep in a storm. Amen? Come on, man. I growing up in a church when they sung songs, when Christ's in the vessel, I can smile at the storm. Smile at... I'll tell you where the scripture became real to me. Four years ago, four years ago next month, actually around October the 7th, 8th, somewhere in there, I had an accident. We, we, take, we took a bunch of our team, about 80 people, 80 missionaries or 80 guys from our church. We took them over to Phnom Penh four years ago. Our church over there had been gone for two years. We were doing this big week of evangelism and outreach and all this sort of stuff there, street ministry, the whole deal. On the Friday night, uh, Mark and I were over there as well. Mark flew back on Friday morning. I was going to fly to Singapore from Phnom Penh uh, the next day, Saturday. That night, we took the 80 of the guys that came with us, all these different people from our church, backgrounds, businessmen, doctors, the whole works, right? All that were on this big, these two big massive boats, restaurants that are on the Mekong. And you had to walk on the skinny plank at nighttime. It was rainy. It was a bit, you know, just weird. Damp. You had to walk on those small planks, get onto these big boats. And there were these massive big barbecue pits where people were cooking, right? And so our Phnom Penh team are over there. They're already on the boat getting ready, getting the food done. We bring on the team. I'm one of the last ones to arrive, get on the boat, right? And as I get on the boat, Malise, which is the sister of one of our pastors in Phnom Penh, she's on the other boat where they're just joined next to each other. She goes, Pastor Matt. And I went, hey, Malise. So I go to step across to walk and talk to her. And I, there's no plank, but it's dark. And so I fall, I free fall, and I land onto the other side of the boat on my side. So they pull me up and I can't breathe. And I'm going, and there's a doctor, which is one of a missionaries. He's going, what's the matter? I said, I can't, I can't breathe, man, I can't breathe. What had happened was I had broken four ribs, punctured my lung. So my lung had deflated. My chest is now expanding. And I'm trying to describe to Glenn, who's a doctor, I'm going, I feel like my ribs have come off my chest, man. I feel like they've, oh, sorry, they come off my spine. Can you just push them back? I can't breathe. So I'm bent over like this, just going... And we're just thinking he's going, and so everybody's making phone calls. This intercessor's praying next to me. She's going, I bind the spirit of death on Pastor Matt. I'm looking, what? So I look up at my ear, I go, she goes, auntie, auntie, come over here. <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, I understand, but you know, you don't want to hear that prayer. 40 minutes we're on this boat, people are making phone calls, no one's answering, they can't get an ambulance, the whole deal. Glenn's looking at me, just trying to keep me calm. I said, dude, I just can't breathe. So I'm just sitting there going, right? And then, uh, uh, you know, finally a van rocks up. So then Glenn says to me, you're going to have to walk off. You're going to have to walk off. I said, whatever it takes, man. So we walk off. I walk, and he's walking backwards, shining his camera torch on the plank, and I'm walking. We get into the van. Oh, these guys carried me once I got to land, carried me to the van. We race to a public hospital. Nothing happens at the public hospital. There's people bleeding out on the floor. So I'm there for another half an hour. And Glenn's yelling at people, just give me a stethoscope. I need to hear this guy's lungs, man. We don't know what's going on. Apparently my face had gone white. My lips had gone blue. An ambulance comes, gets me out of there, races me to a private hospital. They take an x-ray, and my ribs were broken completely. They were shattered, right? Two pieces hanging out like this. My lung had crushed. Uh, my windpipe had bent over to this side here, and my heart was being crushed. They called it an acute pneumothorax, all right? And so they said, we're going to have to operate him right now. Can't put him under because he'll die. And so Glenn says to me, Pastor Matt, they can't give you anything. You're just going to cut you open. You're going to feel it all. But I'll tell you, when you're in that sort of pain, you just go, just do whatever it flipping takes, man. 
right? So we pray. I have to put my arm aside. They cut a hole in my side. They stick a tube in. It's like, and then all this gunk comes out when they hit my lung and begin to reinflate it, right? And then they take the next x-ray and the next x-ray, my ribs have come up and they're holding in place. And so the surgeons are clapping and crying as they're looking at the x-ray. And Glenn comes back and he says, it's like God is holding your ribs in place. They don't have to put any brackets on the whole works. I was in intensive care overnight, tube in my side. I was in hospital for 12 days, right? And every day I'd make these declarations. Every day I'd make these declarations, I'd start reading scripture over my life. Morning and night, Matt Fielder, hear the word of the Lord. 20 healing scriptures. Hear the word of the Lord. Spoke, I said, ribs, you listen, right? What I didn't know was Mark got called while I was on the boat and he told me two months later because he didn't want to tell me before and, and Glenn had rung him and said, Matt's, Matt's going to die. I'm watching Matt die right now. And so Mark yells at him. He goes, you can't tell me that. Hangs up the phone, calls Jem. Jem's yelling, going, he can't die. So all the intercessors globally start praying. Mark's telling me on the, on, two months later, he's going, he says, I'm trying to work out, how do I tell your wife Matt's dead? How do I tell your kids? So now I'm laying in a hospital bed. Infections take over the whole work. Six days I couldn't move. I lost eight kilos. And you get this infection and you couldn't cough, man, laying down. So you're pressing this thing going, oh, please, God, please. And then uh, you'd have to cough. Second night or third night in, I'm reading these scriptures over my life. Always been prophesied of me that I have a roar of a lion. And it just been spoken over me again. You have a roar of a lion. It scares the enemy and it attracts the children back home. And I remember when I got that prophesy, I went, yeah! and it was nuts, you know. Now I'm in a hospital bed and can hardly breathe still. Sitting in this hospital bed, two o'clock in the morning, and this presence walks into my room, sits down by my bed. I've never had this experience beforehand and said, I'm going to steal your breath. I'm taking your roar. And I got angry, man. I couldn't yell, but I spoke in tongues, man. It left. Next morning. I wake up and I'm reading scripture again over my body. Matt Fielder, hear the word of the Lord. And there's this story in Luke chapter 8. And it's the story of Jairus coming and pleading with Jesus. Can you come and heal my daughter? She's dying. A woman with an issue of blood sneaks through the crowd and touches the hem of his garment. She gets healed. And it says Jesus stops and begins to talk to her. And while he's talking to her, the men from Jairus' house come and say, don't bother the teacher anymore. It says this in Luke, 49, Luke 8, 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But it says, but when Jesus heard it, he answered him. This is what I was reading. Don't be afraid. Only believe. As I read this in the hospital bed, the presence of God walked into my room. And I saw God looking at me and I saw this scene of Jairus. And Jesus isn't listening to the servants. He's not looking at the crowd. He's looking straight at Jairus. He's not even, not even paying attention. He says, don't be afraid. Only belief. And God said to me, Matt, don't be afraid. Only belief. Presence of God, man. I start crying my eyes out. From that moment on, everything turned around. Lisa comes into the hospital. I tell her what's happening. She's bawling her eyes out. I ring Mark. Mark's bawling his eyes out. 11 days later, I get released from the hospital. I jump into a van. It took 54 hours to get back home because I wasn't able to fly because my lung would blow up. Get back home. The doctor said, this was October, said, by February, you should be able to walk around and do a lot of stuff that you used to do. 
Six weeks after the accident, I was back in the gym training. 100% healed, completely turned around. No nerve damage, no issue. Perfect ribs, lung is good, everything's cool. Do you have the peace? Do you have that peace? I don't care if you don't get any one of these points in the other cities, I don't care. But do you have that real peace? Because you can fool everybody else, but you can't fool yourself. And you know when you haven't got that peace. From that moment on, I knew everything was going to be all right. 